0: Hello and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future Podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. Today's guest is Illustrators of the Future winner, Alex Gustafson. Welcome, Alex. Thank you very much. So first of all, congratulations on being a winner. Thank you. So how did you first find out about the contest?
1: Uh, actually, uh, one of the, one of my illustrator friends, uh, was like, have you entered the illustrators of the future contest? And I was like, have I, what the what now? (laughs) Um, and then when I went and looked at it, I was like, oh yeah, like I had heard of it before. And, um, I actually wrote to you guys and was like, is it cool that I, I I didn't know if there was like an age limit or, uh, or what. Um, and then I entered and it was, it's literally that simple. I, I, just, somebody told me I should enter and I looked it up and then I called you and you guys were really excited and I, I sent my pieces.
0: So this is the first time you entered? Yep, I've never entered before. Wow, so you won first off. That's that's really great. So congratulations on that. Thank you very much. I love your art. It's just amazing. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I have several posts up on that so that anybody who's interested, they can see it either on your website or on the uh, the Rise of the Future Facebook, Instagram, or um, Twitter posts. So um, I'm curious, have you always wanted to be an artist? Hmm, yes.
1: Uh, I think the first thing I really wanted to be was a paleontologist. Um, <laughs> but then I figured out what that actually entailed and that they don't get paid at all. So I naturally picked artist for the big monetary win. Um, I've always drawn I've since I was a little kid. Um, and when you're a little kid and people are like, uh, hey, what do you want to do when you grow up? You're like, I want to draw monsters. Um, and... As you grow up, you realize you actually have to try everything. You can't just draw monsters. Um, But yeah, kind of natural course of events. You know, like I I got into drawing and then I got into painting and uh, and then I eventually discovered digital painting and I had a real passion for that. Um, And oddly enough, through that discovered traditional sculpture, which I don't know how that worked out, um, one of my teachers at Savannah College of Art and Design was like, have you tried maquette sculpture? And I was like... Uh, which is like the models that we do, uh, either for animation or just for getting the lighting right for a still image. Um, and I just fell into that heart. I was like, "Wow, this is so freeing!" and 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 just like any stress in your life just melts away. And I was like, "Okay, yep, I'm doing the right thing." Um, and and now I'm combining the three. You know, draw, paint, sculpt, try to put it together into a sellable package that I can give to people um so they can have that that little moment where they're just like cool you know the little moment outside they have to step outside their lives and just be like i like this this is neat get them thinking about something other than whatever's going on in their day-to-day
0: right right so do you have any particular favorite type of art you like to do hmm <sighs> Favorite type of art I like to do. Fantasy
1: is always my first love. I grew up playing Dungeons and Dragons. I still play Dungeons and Dragons. Same group of people.
0: Well, you're gonna enjoy meeting Larry. Yeah, Larry Elmore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh,
1: I I've always loved the swords and sorcery type of stuff, but in the same right, I grew up reading the Star Wars novels, and 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 so I love sci-fi too. Uh, Dune, obviously. I mean, how can you not? Yeah um the Dragonlance novels back to fantasy where i read all of them even the really terrible ones um you know i always had a, i was that kid in high school who had a backpack full of fantasy novels and like some old half destroyed dnd manuals that i didn't want anyone to see that i had <laughs> like with the covers half ripped off and those were my tomes of inspiration um and for me uh, the big artist that I really looked up to was Todd Lockwood. And um, since going to school and being in Seattle for a while, I've actually had the chance to take a 12-week intensive class with him and meet him several times. And that was it was really nice to be able to talk to him as like a colleague and you know, right. s- still someone that looks up to him and is like, how do you do what you do? Um, so that was really, you know, a nice stepping stone along the path.
0: So um, you told me a little, an interesting story a, a bit earlier about the significance of winning illustrators of the future. So what does it meant to you as as an artist? Uh, sure, so to, to
1: rehash a little bit, this is a very difficult industry to survive in. Most people who graduate from art school do not become artists. Um, and, and that is directly because of the fact that there is a separation between art school and real life industry work. A good 10 years worth of knowledge, I would say. Um, they do not prepare people. Even the best schools need to have more business classes, need to do more than give you a diploma and send you out the door. Like they really need to place you or help you after the fact to find work. If your goal is not to freelance, but to work full time. Uh, and without that you flounder and you, you do your best and some people make it big like on their own and some people don't. Um, and I was one of those people who, it just kind of was like circling the wagons, kind of uh, like spinning my wheels in the mud. And when I got the call for this, I was contemplating not continuing um, beca- and, and for no other, not because I don't love it. I love it. I love it every day, but you have to make enough money to live. And when you don't, you stop loving it real quick. Um, when it comes down to, I can eat or I can paint, um, that that's no one chooses paint like that's not a thing that's a thing you find in the movies but that's not a thing you find in real life um and when I got the phone call from from you and Joni I was just like maybe I can make this work um so I I picked up another job you know um moved to a cheaper place and made it work and we're so far so good you know so far I've been making milestones and goals and um going about things differently but that's because you know you guys were like
0: we really like what you do good so as you point out yours is not unfortunately yours is not an, an uncommon story so with respect to other people that listen to this, other aspiring artists what could you give them in terms of uh, a tip or your suggestion over like what you're having to deal with uh sure big one and I will, I've
1: told this to classes at a couple of colleges too, uh, you need to diversify your stuff. So you like doing fantasy art. That's great. You want to be an anime artist. Fantastic. You also need to be a graphic designer or an animator or something that you can get a job in that pays until you are a good enough thing that you want to do where you can compete with the best in the industry. Because if you're okay at painting and drawing, and you step into the arena. And that's how you have to look at it. You have to look at it as an arena. And every single person is in there fighting to get jobs. Uh, you're not going to survive. You're going to get taken right out. Because art directors don't take pity on people. They, they, they're not being mean. They have to cover their own bacon. They have one book cover that they need to do. They're either going to hire someone they've worked with before, or if they do take a chance on someone new, they're going to take a chance on someone with an outstanding portfolio. And you are judged on your worst piece every time. So just, you know, don't put all of your eggs in one basket. Um, I wish I had known that when I went to school. I would have, um, I would have, like, just diversified a little bit, probably gone for animation as well, picked up something like rigging or lighting, and with that knowledge, been able to go and work in, like, you know, an animation farm well, I trained to be an illustrator. Right. You know, But they're not, they're connected. Your, your disciplines can be connected. They can complement each other, but don't just have one. Because if that fails you at any point in time for any reason, you're completely done. Right. Um, and, and it is totally okay to have to get a regular job. That doesn't make you less of an artist. That doesn't make you a failure in any way, shape, or form. Just don't let it swallow your life keep the balance
0: good that's very good advice so on um the art that you did that you uh, submitted for winning the contest tell me about that sure uh so the three pieces um first one was blood
1: and sand um which is uh, based on my favorite movie or one of my favorite movies i should say because there are many uh gladiator i have watched that movie an unhealthy amount of times Uh, But it's one of every time it's, it's such good visceral storytelling. So I knew I wanted to do like an arena scene and I knew I wanted animals in there because I always thought that was, you know, barbaric, but cool. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I did a lot of studying on tigers. I do a lot of research into my work. Um, You know, okay, I need to have a guy in armor. What kind of armor were gladiators actually given? Not Hollywood gladiators. And it should be very mismatched because they would win prizes off of people who died um, or be given things as gifts from benefactors. So it was never like you have a shiny set of armor. It would be like you have mostly leather wraps but then a few disparate pieces of armor for victories. And I wanted, uh, you know, a cat uh, – a tiger is a 600-pound cat. How would a tiger knock down a 400-pound guy? Okay, well, he'd have to push him to the ground. So I wanted that moment where the tiger had already hit him and the guy was just starting to fall back and he had dropped his weapon and you weren't sure if the tiger was going to win in that instant or the guy was going to pull out some kind of crazy fight move and get his weapon back and take the cat down. And there's another cat coming in the background. So even if he gets that first one, he might still be kind of screwed. So... It's all about the tension, you know. You right. don't you don't ever want to show the killing stroke, and gore should only be used if it's called for by the art director or if it serves a greater purpose in the narrative. Um, you know, stuff like that. Should, subtlety is key. Right. Good. Good. And then your. Um Next piece? The next piece is uh, Ranger's Rest. Um, to go back to an earlier note, I, I grew up playing Dungeons & Dragons. I still play Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, I listen to the Critical Role podcast. I love D&D. Um, I know the team over at Wizards. They're all wonderful people. Um, and I wanted to do a series of the different classes that you could play, um, but maybe not how you'd seen them before. So for the rangers class, it was uh, just an elf getting some water and uh, and the fox kind of comes out. And it was a very serene piece. I really didn't want it to be about combat. I wanted it to be about the the rangers' relationship with nature and then all the detail that I could pour into the, the surrounding foliage and, and, and whatnot. Yeah, I, I love
0: that piece. It's just, that was my favorite one of yours. And then the third one third one is um Hunter's moon uh,
1: which was my stab at just um doing some practice book cover work um and that's a very stylized central piece with uh a female in kind of futuristic body armor mm-hmm. um and the the short story behind it was uh a lone bounty hunter comes to a lawless moon hunting her target you know um, and runs afoul of treachery or whatever um and I was exploring using large shapes in the background. There's some gears, and there's some like robots on the gears, and um, it was just me playing with different mm-hmm. different ideas and thoughts and doing something that I hadn't done. And I used like a red purple color scheme, which was new for me. I'd never done that. So
0: good, good. Obviously, yeah, it's amazing art because you won with it. So now, um, lastly, tell me about the art in uh, Rise of Future. i 35.
1: Yeah, so I did uh, I illustrated Kai's story, um, which was great. Uh, and I, I must have read that like seven times, and I was having a hard time picking what I wanted to do. Uh, and luckily, what I did pick is at the beginning of the story, so it's not giving anything away. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there's this scene where the village elders have gathered, and le- like half the village is on fire because there's like a plague, and the wizard is standing out there talking to them, and the village elders are like, hey, you've killed everyone, but you haven't killed that that one kid, and you need to kill him. And the guy's like, through my wizarding powers, obviously written better than how I'm describing it, um, I know he's not going to die, so I'm not going to kill him. Uh, and they were like, you have to. And he's like, you know, I'm not going to do that. Screw this, him And goes, And he's just like, the way it's written, you can just see him kicking in a door of a building that's totally in flames, and there's fire just gushing out of this like um, kind of Mongolian yurt-type tent. And then he walks out holding the kid with fire like in his robes because he can't be hurt but his clothing is cloth. And uh, one of the cool parts for me was it all. It talks about um, how all of his powers come from the gods, which I thought was a really interesting take on a wizard because you never read about wizards having powers from gods. It's always arcane power. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually did. I just made up what I thought some gods would look like because they're not described in the story. And they're kind, you can kind of see their faces very um, – Greek pantheon style, you know, in the clouds, looking down on this act of, of selflessness, and he decides to save this kid, which is really a decision to save himself, because what he really needs is a friend who doesn't treat him like a, you know, immortal deity. Good. Well, I thought it was yeah. pretty cool.
0: It was very cool and you did a great job with that too. I told Kai that they're gonna like flip out on that one. <laughs> yeah. All right. So um so what can we look forward to seeing from you in the not-too-distant future, hopefully? Oh, yeah, no, definitely.
1: Uh, oh, it's happening regardless of directions my career takes. So there's two things. I got a short body of work coming out. It's probably going to be six new pieces, uh, and there'll be prints available for all of them, including follow-ups to the Rangers rest image um, uh, for the D&D fans out there. And then I have a large project called Ironheart, which is a multidisciplinary world building project that's going to be eventually a published book so it's going to have six to eight illustrated short stories and then the second half of the book is all the concept art sculpture and whatnot that goes into designing and building the world and races vehicles technology magic etc um basically everything a major studio would do but just me um and and that's my way of expanding what i can do and Mm -hmm. making one hell of a business card
0: awesome I wish you all the best in that. I'm very happy to, to have met you this time and uh, have a great week. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks, Alex. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for our next installment of the Writers of the Future podcast. Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Writers and illustrators of the future are contests created by L. Ron Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to new and amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy.